Welcome to CEF Insights, your source for closed-end fund information and education, brought to you by the Closed-End Fund Association. Today we are joined by Christian Hoffman, Managing Director with Thornburg Investment Management, as well as Portfolio Manager of Thornburg Income Builder Opportunities Trust, ticker TBLD. Christian, we're happy to have you with us today. Hey, happy to be here. Christian, can you discuss the investment strategy for TBLD and how the components of this global multi-asset strategy complement each other? Sure, this strategy was created in, in 2021. You know, when we looked at the space of income investing, you know, we realized that historically income strategies have had to rely heavily on fixed income or high dividend equities. And if you looked at those spaces, these were often in cyclicals, particularly on the equity side, and those funds had limited factor diversity. So given Thornburg's long history in both income investing via global equity and fixed income, it really made sense to combine our collective expertise and really create a product which we didn't see offered in the market, uh, a product that allowed customers to have high income, but via a more diverse factor exposure and with more tools than you generally find in most traditional income funds. So the three legs of the stool, as a reminder, are global equities, global fixed income, and option riding. So that not only provides us with a diverse source of income, but it allows us to invest in equities of companies that you wouldn't normally find in an income fund, particularly growth companies. How is the TBLD portfolio currently positioned? The underlying components that we had from day one remain intact. Global equities with diversified factor exposures, a diversified group of fixed income, and the options overlay. But let's talk about how it's changed and evolved. You know, one thing I want to point out is that implied volatility which is generally uh, how you look at the you know, richness or cheapness of an option, has generally decreased. And you can see that in VIX, particularly compared to 2022 when it was very elevated. So that's a long-winded way of saying that the compensation you're paid for option writing has significantly decreased you know, since we launched. So it's not surprising that you would see us writing less options. And another thing that I'd point out, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but when we launched this fund in, in July of 21, that was very close to, to all-time highs in terms of what you saw in fixed income. So we worked very hard to structure a fixed income portfolio, yielding over 4%. Again, this was when high yield was you know, not even yielding 4%. Today, you can get that you know, buying treasuries. So it's a much richer option in terms of the fixed income landscape and choices that we have there. So it's not surprising to see us you know, do more fixed income and fixed income that we didn't you know, have available to us when we launched the fund. You know, this really speaks to the flexibility of the fund and our ability as a team to leverage opportunities in the marketplace, you know, as market conditions evolve. You know, thinking about how we generated income last year, you know, roughly half came from our equity portfolio, about a third came from our fixed income book, and the rest came from options. So you continue to see, you know, each sleeve contribute, you know, to the overall generation. How active is the option writing component for your strategy, and what range of exposure would you typically expect for this component? We, we talked about that a little bit in the, the evolution of VIX pricing and you know the volatility that you see in the marketplace. You know, I think the max that we saw was it was in 2022 at around you know a quarter of the portfolio or 25%. Today we're sitting closer to 10%. So it's only natural that you would see this you know really wax and wane you know depending on market conditions. I think there's, you know, a, a fair case that we will see volatility pick up in the rest of the year. And I think we would look to 
to increase our overlay, you know, into that environment. But again, the fixed income book and even the investment we get, you know, from our cash, we're getting almost five and a half percent, you know, on our cash today. You know, that was closer to zero when we launched. So again, just speaks to the evolution of the fund and the opportunities. TBLD has not utilized leverage in managing the portfolio. Is the use of leverage something the fund would consider in the future? It's something that we have the availability to do. We have not used leverage to date. And again, we launched in 2021. You know, our view is that most of our competitors use leverage wrong. And that's to say that in a very rich market, when valuations are stretched, when it's hard to get income, when it's hard to generate returns, people use leverage to try to meet a target, but they're often doing that at the top of the market. So when things turn down, when things sell off, you know, not only are you experiencing the price deterioration, but you're experiencing it, you know, from a, from a levered position. If you look at our competitors that were levered at the top of the market, you know, both the sell-off and the discount and ABV you see on those funds, you know, looks, looks particularly brutal at this point in time. You're also looking at, again, a Fed funds rate of, of over 5%. And, you know, if those funds are paying a margin on top of that, that is a huge cost of carry, especially relative to, you know, high cost positions that are currently underwater. So we really took the opposite approach that we want to stay away from leverage when things look expensive or rich. If the market has a liquidity problem, if things become extremely oversold, we see that as another tool that we could use to generate value for our shareholders. But given the fact that we've had that in our tool bag, but haven't used it, you know, throughout these market conditions, I think really speaks to the prudence and conservatism of this team and the reticence to use it when we feel that the risk reward is just extremely in our favor. Christian, the Federal Reserve appears to be at the end of its rate hiking cycle. Inflation remains elevated. Economic growth has been resilient. But federal deficits are daunting. We also have significant geopolitical tensions that impact markets, and we have U.S. federal elections in November. Where do you see the investment markets currently, and what is your outlook for 2024? It's very easy to imagine the the 10-year oscillating between, say, you know, three and a half and four and a half percent. You know, we've seen that in the recent history. It's also not hard to paint scenarios where we touch three percent or even five percent again, which which we saw not long ago. You know, as I look at my screens today, we're trading around four fifteen on the ten year. That isn't horrible, especially relative to to that range that I mentioned. You know, as a team, we spend a lot of time looking at real rates as well. Today, you're getting over one point eight percent on the ten year and even 2.1% on the 30-year. This is extremely attractive relative to recent history, but even relative to a normalized cycle to a longer period of time, this is still certainly outside of the average and, and remains pretty compelling. On the other hand, valuations and credit spreads, particularly into this recent rally, don't appear to be pricing anything other than a soft landing and what people are calling you know, immaculate disinflation. It's really our base case that we'll see both of those concepts challenged in in 2024. When we spoke with your colleague Ben Kirby a few months ago, he noted that areas of fixed income had become much more interesting. Are you still finding that to be the case? It is, but much less than what we saw in both 
the fall of 2022 and the fall of 2023. You know, I think one thing that we did successfully well with this fund is that we started with a healthy amount of credit risk and very low duration risk when we launched. And that credit risk was something that we did really from the bottom up and, you know, through our detailed work, because we felt we could rely on that while relying on interest rates to remain low, given that they were all all time lows, didn't seem to be an advantageous position to launch the fund. As we saw interest rates rise and normalize and correct, we took advantage of that positioning to both increase duration to more normalized levels and also to decrease the credit risk as we had less need to do that to still you know, generate our bogey and generate returns for, for shareholders. Fall of 22 and 23, from a timing perspective, the sell-off and, and rebound felt very much the same, although I would point out that fall of 22, there was a tremendous amount of credit weakness, while, while 23 was more pronounced with rate volatility and in core rates. Both of those were opportunities. We saw more opportunities to add credit in 22 and more opportunities to add duration in fall of 23. We got to, to almost five uh, in duration on the fixed income portfolio. We have backed that off into this recent strength as we, again, we expect you know, continued volatility and think we'll get you know, more bites of the apple. Where are you seeing the best opportunities in this market, both on the fixed income and equity side? So this fund, it's not it's not surprising to see it overweight in international equities. You know, part of the reason there is that international markets tend to have much higher dividend yields than the U.S., even for comparable companies, even for companies operating in similar environments with similar growth rates. Part of that is for, for tax law. Part of it is for historical reasons. But it's not surprising to see, you know, a, an international dividend company as, as something that's going to be attractive. I'd also point out that the valuations there are much less challenging than what you see, you know, in the U.S. at this point of time. You know, if you look at Europe, that market's trading at about 12 times forward earnings. Compare that to 1920 for the S&P 500. You know, that's a a 30% disconnect for longer-term PE. Historically, it's been closer to something like maybe 15 to 20. So we're still we're doing bottom-up work. We're picking stories that we like, and that's not a bold macro call but I think it does still speak to an attractive entry point, you know, even today for investors. We've had a recent history of a tremendous amount of dollar strength as well. And I think, you know, having access to currencies besides the dollar, I think will also decrease volatility and provide ballast and, you know, some nice upside potential for investors, particularly at this entry point right now. Christian, as investors consider the allocations of their diversified portfolios or income-oriented portfolios, how do you see a global multi-asset strategy like TBLD best positioned in those investor portfolios? So we have a great, great CPM, and again, I'd invite you know folks to to talk to him. But just you know, my two cents would be that you know we see clients use this fund you know in a variety of ways. Certainly. Uh, one easy way is a core part of an income portfolio or income sleeve. And as I look at the screen today, the distribution yield, you know, at cost is currently around 8% based on the trading level. Again, that's based on the healthy income generation of the fund, but also the discount to NAV, which, you know, investors buying today have access to. Another thing that 
I thought would be tough for us, but it's something that you know I've been very pleased on on what we've delivered is the qualified dividend income that we get, you know, via via our equity component. So, you know, for folks that really want to get in the weeds, you know, I would like, you know, I would offer them to compare uh, the QDI or qualified dividend income of our fund relative to other funds, which, you know, maybe just generating pure income because the the after tax effect of that can be very notable and something that, you know, investors should consider. That's relative to some of our equity fund competitors and also relative to fixed income funds. You know, we see other folks that use it as a proxy for global equity allocation, you know, since its inception in 2021. The fund's NAV return has resembled the, the broader global equity market, but with less volatility because of the bonds and the option overlays and, and dividend paying equities. And, you know, I think for, for opportunistic investors generally, you, know, you look at the discount today on the fund, you know, that, that remains attractive. And given that this is a you know, closed-end fund 2.0 structure, that's not something that should exist in perpetuity, that there are mechanisms to, to close that over time. So I think folks also need to weigh that versus the 1.0 structure where there isn't necessarily a mechanism for that discount to close. Christian, thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with us today. Thanks for having me. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another CEF Insights podcast. For more educational content, please visit our website at www.sepa.com. This material is not and is not intended as investment advice, an indication of trading intent or holdings, or the prediction of investment performance. All fund-specific information is the latest publicly available information. All other information is current as of the date of this presentation. All opinions and forward-looking statements are subject to change at any time. Thornburg disclaims any responsibility to update such views and or information. This information is deemed to be from reliable sources. However, Thornburg does not warrant its completeness or accuracy. This presentation is not intended to and does not constitute an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security, product, investment advice or service, nor shall any security, product, investment advice or service be offered or sold in any jurisdiction in which Thornburg is not licensed to conduct business and or an offer, solicitation, purchase or sale would be unavailable or unlawful.